With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us. Greg Brady dropping by imminently to get us set for week five of the 2020 NFL season. Some big news as well over the last couple of days, which we'll lead off with and all the key games lined up and previewed for your listening pleasure. So without further ado, let's get straight down to business. Greg, it's good to see you, Matt. Maybe, maybe for the last time now, this job opening in Houston has come up. I mean, <laughs> you could be on your way to Is that for you or for me? Uh, I know you've had ideas about how to run the Houston Texans for well over a decade now, Nat. I couldn't do that to Romeo Cornell. We go back so far. I just feel like it was uh, taking mouth, uh, taking a bread from the mouth of my brother. So, um, but we got well, and you remember our lifetime history as Cole Miami Dolphins fans. Would we really be trying to win that much over the next three months, knowing the Dolphins get their first round picks? I, I don't know. Very, um, very fair point. Uh, very yeah. fair point. Uh, that would be an absolute lock for a two and fourteen uh, second pick overall uh, season. It's a, it's a fair shout. Now we've got to lead off with that. We're going to get into uh, all the week five action. We're going to try and pick all the games and, and key in on. Uh, two or three of, of the really interesting matchups. Some big stories we've got to talk about first of all, though. And we'll lead off with Bill O'Brien leaving Houston, the own four start, uh, and the, the fact, of course, he was a GM as well as the head coach. Leaves a, a, a whole lot of rebuilding to be done. I'm curious, Greg, as to how you watch this play out because I was mindful of the old Hemingway line. How did you go bust gradually, then suddenly, right? Looking at this with Houston and looking at, I mean, it was nine months ago that they were 24 nothing up in a playoff game, right? But they mortgaged the house, as you were alluding to, uh, in, in terms of draft picks. Laramie Tunsil and Stills is, is what they've got for giving up a whole lot of capital. There were reports that O'Brien and, and JJ Watt were getting into it on the, on the practice field. He wanted to bring Earl Thomas in. They didn't want that. So he seemed like he'd lost the dressing room, the worst trade in history. All of these things were only leading up to the inevitable, right? It feels that way. And, and you lay that out there and you, you just made a fantastic case for why not to keep, uh, Bill O'Brien with, with some of the, you know, the issues with the front office. But you also laid out why maybe this is this is a far less successful general manager than a head coach. And so often we, we know the coach has tremendous influence on a front office. I think we see it right now with the Las Vegas Raiders. And though Mike Mayock's a big name and, and the ex-broadcaster and he knows how to evaluate college players, 
John Gruden's really driving that car and, and gets the credit and the blame for when things go well or not well for the Raiders the last couple of years. We certainly would make the case about that with Bill Belichick in New England, Sean Payton in New Orleans. But this was a bit of an odd scenario in that there just didn't seem to be any, uh, you know, any, how would I put it, uh, you know, forthcoming, uh, you know, steering of the ship in the proper direction because you can't make the case one person wanted to turn the ship this way, the other person wanted to turn the ship the other way when Bill O'Brien's doing both jobs. And though there were people that questioned his coaching acumen, questioned the fact that maybe the Texans had, if anything, though you know they won a playoff game against Buffalo, had to come back in that game, similar to how Kansas City came back on them by the time the divisional playoff came around, it wasn't quite the same deficit against the Bills and the Texans were at home. But I think you you, you raised a point that I, I'm real curious about, and I wouldn't even know where to track back the data, but I can't come up with much anecdotally, Nat. How many coaches have won a playoff game the previous season? The previous season, and no matter how their first four games go, are gone. And not just, again, not just taking one part of the role away from Bill O'Brien, but basically saying you're done with the organization. We have to go in a different direction. And, yeah, I'm real curious about the timing. I'm real curious uh, if they thought this was just an untenable situation going forward. And with all the havoc that was reaped, reaped in the front office in terms of the, the transactions and the DeAndre Hopkins trade, you've left whoever's coming in next, Romeo Cornell on an interim basis, whoever potentially is coming in for the 2021 season. I, I, I think we think Romeo Cornell's long-term head coaching career has that ship has probably sailed so this may be just a band-aid on the wound for right now but we got a lot of questions about about who the next coach is and whether he comes in and as you know the cupboard is kind of bare and uh and and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be with a team that's got Deshaun Watson at age 25 at quarterback with a team that's still got J.J. Watt playing effectively at age 31 if he can stay healthy and and some other help on defense this isn't a team that should go two and fourteen or three and thirteen, and they're headed in that direction right now. It's a difficult gig to to take on, I think, for for, for those reasons. Because if you're coming, you know, either as a GM or a head coach, and, and being handed or not had, as the case may be, if the draft capital isn't there, you look back at those decisions that that O'Brien made, and look, the Hopkins trade, as we said, it's amongst the most vilified I can I can remember, and it is complex to and very difficult to, to rationalize and justify, although things did come out afterwards in terms of looking at the, the, the fiscal side of it and uh, how difficult it was to balance the books because they paid Deshaun, right? Because JJ Watt's being paid. But then you think of the Tunsil and Stills move. The big problem with this team in the last couple of years has been the offensive line, right? So you can understand the rationale of saying, well, Tunsil's the real deal. And I know his draft stock fell, which probably, again, didn't help the the optics of that particular deal. So, uh, but you, at least you're getting a player you know can play in the NFL as opposed to a rookie where there's always a risk that he's going to bust, right? So I, I kind of understand some of the moves that, that O'Brien made, but now we're in a situation, as you say, with the talent in the roster definitely better than a 2-14 and 14 side, but we could be wasting, we could be seeing the wastage of, of Deshaun Watson's best years. I mean, quite conceivably, this team could struggle for a couple of years and mm -hmm. you know, Deshaun Watson should be rolling into his heyday, and and could end up going in the opposite opposite direction. So uh, the interesting times, and, and I agree with you, the timing of it, I think it has to do with what went down with JJ Watt, huge figure in the organization, arguing with him in public. That's been widely reported, and and this L. Thomas move. I mean, that just sounded 
very, very left field because of the much reported issues that he's caused uh, in recent times understand why the locker room was against that so maybe that was the tipping point ultimately more than the on the field letdown which look they were always going to go oh and two oh and three you know that was a coin that was a that was a pick and really with Steelers and I guess the Vikings game was the was the final nail there move on to Washington big news there as well Dwayne Haskins being benched not just being benched greg falling automatically to number three on the roster which was uh <laughs> which was a low blow although of course alex smith uh the comeback player of the year no doubt uh sitting there as the backup so kyle allen comes in again once again i'm reminded looking at this and, and the haskins situation of the the unbelievable importance of situation when you're a quarterback so he was taken 15th in in that in that draft the third quarterback taken drew Locke was the quarterback taken next in the second round 42nd overall. He's now starting in Denver. Now, I know they're different styles of quarterbacks, but yeah, luck of the draw to a strong degree. And this was a pick, Greg, if you remember, that Daniel Snyder wanted. And by all accounts, the football people at Washington didn't. And Snyder was adamant that they reached up uh, and took him. Yeah. And one of those scenarios where he, you know, Alex Smith's health was so up in the air, there would have been a lot of people logically saying at the end of that 2018 season uh, that he'd never play again, plain and simple. And yeah, Haskins is in that kind of look. I, I think there's a couple quarterbacks, obviously, from that draft that we're going to ask questions about until they get on their feet. And one is Haskins. The other is Daniel Jones with the New York Giants, who was drafted several picks before him. It, it wasn't near as quarterback rich. A draft, obviously, as, as the previous couple seasons where, you know, you're dealing with the, you know, the Mayfield, uh, Darnold, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen draft. And you're not even looking at 2017 where we referenced Deshaun Watson, uh, Patrick Mahomes in, in that draft and those, them both being passed over by the Bears and Mitch Trubisky. I, I thought Haskins was the right pick at the right time, but I also thought this might be the perfect example of a guy, uh, Nat, and we've gotten away from it in recent years and we thought, Maybe in this COVID-19 world, it was going to be a struggle for young quarterbacks to be pushed into duty. And I think I, I do think Justin Herbert probably wouldn't be playing games yet if not for the bizarre injury to Tyrod Taylor. Right. And we're obviously seeing that in Miami with Tua coming off that injury, um, you know, waiting it out behind uh, a, a savvy veteran in, in Ryan Fitzpatrick. There's not a lot of win-now urgency with the Miami Dolphins. But Washington felt like that in-between team where they get a good look at Haskins Wonder if he could handle, you know, the live bullets. And and if he couldn't, there was there was room to wait. And uh, I, I hope this means they can come back to Haskins at a certain point in time. He's 23 years old. He's only made 11 NFL head, you know, NFL quarterback starts. So I think there's a lot still to be determined about who he is and what he can do. But yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised. But I know he didn't play well in the Browns game. Um, and and really had some things to clean up after that. But I actually, I don't think we can lay losing to the Ravens uh, with their defense and the way they attack uh, attack an offense and attack the passing game, no less, and the time you yeah. have to pass. I can't lay a lot about the ineffectiveness of Washington's offense, Nat, uh, at his particular feet. So, you know, I think we would have expected Washington to be one and three out of the gate. I think it's a little early to pull the shoot on Dwayne Haskins. I would have wanted to see more, but I do think he'll get that time later in Either this season or next season with the organization. I don't think this, it, I don't think this is them thinking this is a guy to cut bait on. This isn't the player. Uh, cause there's a lot of time. Look at, look at how we're seeing now finally a renaissance with Baker Mayfield after a lot more starts and mm -hmm. a lot more reps at the NFL level than Dwayne Haskins. 
you know, the timing, it's a great point you make. The timing is fascinating because in that Baltimore game, he threw five over 300 yards, 32 of 45. It wasn't exactly, it wasn't, a, it wasn't Jake Delon meltdown time, right? You know, so. Yeah, no picks, uh, no picks. He wasn't, yeah, he didn't give a lot of short fields up to the Ravens. Mm. Uh, no fumbles, no turnovers whatsoever. Um, and, and, but if anything, they were playing from behind. So he had to yeah. throw the ball, uh, the 45 times that he threw it. Yeah. And that you look down, they were, they were, Short stack defensively as well, of course. So it was a, it was a, it was a game they were never realistically going to win. And he, and he, as he say, he didn't turn over the ball of a young quarterback. He didn't do a lot wrong then. I guess the, and some people are suggesting the rationale here, particularly with the drop to the, to number three on the roster is a wake up call of sorts, right? You know, and that, that if you look collectively at his performance this season, it has been under par. You look collectively at his performances in his first starts for Washington last season, they were under par, even for a, a, you know, a young quarterback where he should be. He was the young, out of all of that c- collection of quarterbacks between one and three years experience in the league right now, he was amongst the, the weakest going into the season, right? In terms of, of, our, of our perception of him and how secure his position was. But it does seem strange. Washington aren't going to make the playoffs. And I know everyone will say, well, it's the NFC East. Anyone, the Cowboys will win the East. If they don't, it's going to be the Eagles. Washington, the Giants aren't, aren't realistically at the races here at all. Kyle Allen, that's the other thing. It's not as if, and I know Kyle Allen's a fascinating player, Greg, because I was reminded looking when the story broke, looking at one of the, uh, one of the pieces about Allen, just deep diving a bit more, looking back at Allen, that at one point he was the hottest hottest ticket in town right wasn't he and then his stock completely fell and he uh, and he kind of bounced all the way down because the tail end of his college career was so was so disappointing but at one point kind of like how jake locker was that time you know 10 That's years right. ago where he was the gonna be the number one overall and he was the next luck or and then it, it you know circumstances changed that so maybe maybe alan is one of those players that the organization wants to look at as well because he could have something there that we just haven't seen yet but it is strange for me that a, a, a player like Allen is being brought in for Haskins in a season that Washington aren't going to win. It'll be lucky to have a winning record. It just seems an odd timing. It is. And, and Allen feels, I think you summed it up well in that he's played well in spurts, but those spurts haven't last terribly long. I, I think, I think most NFL fans would have the same questions about Kyle Allen as they might about, um, Jacksonville's Gardner Minshew is, you know, mm-hmm. we see it on a drive and we see, my goodness, he does have that it factor sometimes. And when Allen came in, for an injured Cam Newton last year, Nat, you, you remember what the response was like. People are are saying, almost saying to themselves, Newton was so inconsistent and, and error-prone even before the injury that the great debate began, well, even if Newton miraculously got healthy in a hurry, and he didn't, um, but but the way that Allen was playing out of the gate, they won four straight. Uh, he yeah. had a four-touchdown game against Arizona in his debut, and we were starting to really think that Carolina might have had found money here in a guy that uh, that you know wasn't even drafted and was making less than a million dollars up against the salary cap. But, you know, the, the jury's still out on what kind of quarterback he can be. But obviously, there isn't the college pedigree uh, that Haskins has or some of the other names we've mentioned who've been drafted in the first round in the last three years. He feels very much like uh, like a career backup to me. Mm-hmm. So this is a really interesting one. Um, and, and you do wonder... Alex Smith being in uniform, being the backup, getting more of the reps, yeah, that's probably more helpful for Kyle Allen than having an inexperienced Haskins because Smith's the ultimate, you know, been there, done that guy. And, again, we still don't know. We didn't have a preseason where we could watch Alex Smith play, um, you know, e- even even against second or third string defenses. We don't know. It's a little like Peyton Manning when he came back, only in the sense that uh, when Manning had those neck surgeries yeah. and was out for the year, come back with Denver – 
what does a real hit look like for Peyton Manning? Can he get up after a defensive end wants to wants to crumple him on a third and long and puts his helmet into the side of his shoulder? We're going to wonder that with Alex Smith, too. The escapability that he used to have so consistently is one of the better running quarterbacks in the league. Right. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see if Allen goes down or even has to miss a series, whether a 36-year-old Alex Smith can handle this or whether he's – uh, you know, more content just to be in uniform and just to be back on the field. And you you made a great point about the NFC East being so, so wide open that you do wonder if if expectations in Washington, because of how their defensive has played, and it was so high, it was higher after week one where they looked so good against Philadelphia in that comeback win. I know they're down to one and three, but you're not wrong. Is an eight and eight record good enough to win the, uh, you know, w- win the NFC East? Now that the Eagles have a tie, is seven, eight and one good enough to win if you're Philadelphia? I don't think we see a double-digit uh, win season for any of those teams the way Dallas's defense is right now. No. And remember, they'd have to go 9-3 and three the rest of the way to pull that off. That doesn't look like a defense right now in uh, in, in Jerry Jones's, uh land that can go n- win 9 of the next 12 games based on how their D's been playing. They are, they remind me, Greg. You'll appreciate the reference. I think uh, of the Kevin Keegan Newcastle of the uh, of the nineties. <laughs> the way the Dallas are shaping up, they're going to beat you five four each time. Uh, okay, on to the latest on Corona and look. I know the news is everywhere, and I was, you know, we're all inundated with even away from sports with Corona, Corona, Corona. So I don't necessarily want to spend a huge amount of time mm. on this at the moment, but. We need to report the Stephen Gilmore news, uh, testing positive. There are, I suppose what I want to ask you is this, Greg. There are a lot of dramatic headlines flying around. There have been over the last 48 hours. And I'm, I'm not underplaying the, the, the significance, the seriousness. You and I, over the last six, seven months, in the different shows we've done together, have talked so much about this. So in no way uh, would I want to be, as I say, underplaying the importance here. When I ask you, do you think everybody's getting a little bit carried away with the NFL season on the brink headlines because I I appreciate the complexity of navigating through this as the season progresses and bye weeks disappear and maybe more than one organization has an outbreak and I'm not suggesting that it's going to be plain sailing but we're not at Mm -hmm. any realistic danger at the moment anyway of the season getting getting scrubbed are we? No I don't think that I do think there is potential for them to have a makeup period of games where maybe you're playing regular season games into January based on pure necessity. Uh, I think, and that puts the Super Bowl back and that adds a lot of, it doesn't add as many complexities if fans could attend at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa where the Super Bowl is. But would I be shocked by a Super Bowl that is closer to March 1st on the calendar than February 1st? I would not. You and I talked about that a ton in April and May the potential for the NFL because they really didn't have to make a deadline here. People were going to watch. People are going to listen. People are going to play their fantasy football. People are going to wager on the games. And if the season had started in November, if they couldn't get a, you know, a, a lead out of the gate and come storming out, um, then it didn't matter. They would be able to play those games in, in November. And unlike a couple other North American sports, to a lesser extent, not the NBA, but I can tell you for sure, the NHL, uh, there's a lot of debate about whether owners can even stomach the idea of going back without crowds. They're a little closer to, how would I put it, championship football teams than uh, Premier League football teams in terms of how they rely on a game day and how they rely on attendance. And we know the NFL doesn't have those concerns specifically. Of course it helps 
to have 60,000 screaming people spending, you know, $100 a ticket and buying the merchandise and buying the beer and buying the hot dogs. Of course it does. But none of these guys are going to miss, uh, you know, <laughs> although I saw today that the uh, the Jacksonville Jaguar, Jaguars owner is putting his yacht up for sale, Nat. I know that was probably something you were going to get to later in the show, and maybe you and me and some others could organize a joint bid. Maybe even I, rent it out for a couple of days. I don't think we can own. I don't think we can rent to own, but maybe just a just a quick forty eight hour like rental a, if he's desperate. Or like some kind of yacht share. An old um, Americanish throwback because Harry uh, is producing uh, uh, this show. We're going to check how much is in the uh, the Nat Coombe show bank account, Harry. Uh, <laughs> look into that. Probably not quite enough to. Uh, yeah. Yes, he said we might be able to get get seventy two two hours in uh, Acapulco. <laughs> I think I think we can squeeze yeah. it in. But to to your greater question, no, I, I don't think we're talking about the season being in jeopardy. I think we might need some extra weeks. And the way someone described it, I wish I could quote them because I thought it was it was great, and I like shining the light on great. Uh, analogies via Twitter is the idea is you're you're not a very good golfer, but you step up and, and you're playing your first three holes out of 18. Somehow there's a couple pars in there. You may not have had a par in the previous month, but all of a sudden you're one over par through three holes. But, you know, stepping up to that fourth hole, uh, you've caught lightning in a bottle a little bit. You know, you know, you're going to still shoot an 86 or a 92. But right now you're on track to shoot 73. That was the explanation for the NFL and COVID-19 getting su- as successfully as they did through the first three weeks. Now, remember, there's a lot of doom and gloom, and I'm sure some of it would have come out of my mouth. Some of if it would have come out of your mouth when we saw all the positive cases in baseball. We're worried about the NBA going and playing in, a, in an epicenter, uh, a 21% positivity rate for COVID-19 testing, the county where Orlando, Florida was. But the bubbles ended up working, and I think, that if anything – we're going to have a season. We're going to have a Super Bowl. There might be some stumbles along the way. That's just that's just life under COVID-19. But there will be more of a push, I think, to put some kind of practical bubble together for players to say, listen, uh, you know, we're going to have to – for organizations to say, we're going to have to put all our players in a hotel room. Um, with the, the New England Patriots will have to stay at a hotel room in Foxborough or Boston, away from their families, so they're not – picking kids up from school, going out and talking to the neighbors, having people over in the backyard – I, you know, if the NFL wants to get through this, I think those are the things that are inevitably going to have to happen. We're seeing this right now in North America. No, it's a long answer, but I, I, I look and say testing. Look at the president and the vice president of the United States. You can test as much as you want. If you're not a following protocol, if you're not following good medical advice with masks and distancing, then you can't get together on Sunday afternoons and, and play an NFL game and, and get on an airplane the day before and stay in a hotel room. So I think the NFL might have to ramp a little bit of that up, but I'm not worried yet about the season getting uh, getting scrubbed. No. Final point on, on this, and we'll get into the games. Just on that very last point, and, and ties in with the Raiders players rocking up at Darren Waller's fundraiser and oversights in terms of masks for some of it and getting fined. That's been announced. They've been fined. Gruden staying with the Raiders, mm-hmm. but they keyed in on him. As he's by no means the only coach on the sidelines at the moment that is not adhering to, to strict protocols. Uh, Mahomes said after uh, you know after the, the game against uh, which game was it that he was talking about? Was it was it against the Patriots? Well, anyway, New England because he gave yeah, Stephon Gilmore a big Gilmore. hug and they were writing each other's faces, right, congratulating right. each other after the game. And yeah. people are real worried about the status of Patrick Mahomes. And again. Not a negative test. You can have one one day. You can have one the next day. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that that test won't go positive three days later or four days later after that exposure. It doesn't yeah. mean that. And it's and it's and he said it or alluded to it. Most instinct, right? It's just used to doing it. And then same with Gruden. They're not consciously 
you know, being flagrantly ignoring the rules. It's just that in the middle of a game, it's incredibly difficult to be asking, uh, and in Gruden's case for God knows how many decades, to behave in a different way to tight when you're right in the middle of uh, of, of this game. It's a, it's a very complex thing. And watching how the NFL story uh, mm-hmm. story suggesting the Titans might get censured as well, to what degree they'll be punished and will games get forfeited. That's something I think they're going to have to navigate very, very carefully and be consistent with as well, You know, depending on the, the level of the transgression. Right, speaking of the Raiders, let's get down to business. They got the Chiefs at Arrowhead uh, this week. And I want to start, Greg, by looking back at Monday Night Football. We dropped a, a video on our social channels at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, if you want to get involved there. So I, I, I just rolled out a couple of thoughts off the back of it. One of them that really stood out for me was courtesy of NFL Stats and Research that during the game, they dropped this, uh, they dropped this stat uh, on Twitter and it really locked to my mind. And then I was working on this and working around this. The Chiefs, since Mahomes, right, the Mahomes era, have gone without a touchdown in the opening half three times. The Monday Night Football game, week six loss in 2018 to the Patriots, and then the 2018 AFC Championship loss to the Patriots, right? <laughs> Belichick might have lost, Greg, but in many ways, he had the match of Reed and Mahomes again, and if Cam had been playing, I think it's very fair to say that would have been a very different outcome. Well, I think it would have been a different outcome with uh, with a healthy, ready to go Cam Newton. But they have they have some kind of medicine for Patrick Mahomes and some kind of strategy that they clearly don't want to share with the other thirty teams in the league because <laughs> they are able to. You're right, bottle him up and do things to him that no other team seems to be able to. And I'll I'll go a step further. Yeah, a different quarterback makes a difference, but in one of the most, you know, uh, uh, egregious um calls I've ever seen, Tony Corrente just uh, you know, he blew the game wide open in favor of the Chiefs with uh with that call, non-call, whatever you want to describe it as. That that's a touchdown for the Patriots and they've been pleading with officials over and over again. Please don't blow the whistle. Let the play play out, and we got replay. We've got oversight. We'll sort it out afterwards now. And that was a tremendous, tremendous swing of momentum because you talk about the Chiefs not scoring in the first half. The Patriots didn't get their touchdown until the fourth quarter. And, Mm -hmm. and of of course, yeah, a a pick six, which is almost all on Julian Edelman, takes it from a nine-point game. They basically had a, you know, had at least a 10-point swing, maybe a 14-point swing based on Tony Corrente's mistake. And they're still nine points down with nine minutes to go, and they've got the football. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think uh, suitably agreed the Patriots off the back of that. And in, to your point on how they're doing it, I mean, look, it, there is definitely a, a, a matchup for what Belichick is trying to do. And, and, and on our show only a couple of weeks ago, Nick was talking uh, about the, the – masterful job Belichick's done already with a really young and untried defense matching up to key opponents in the AFC, right? With speed. So he's predicated it on speed so he can play man and take him on in that way. And, and also do what he was talking about Andy Reid doing offensively, which is run the same things, but mix up the personnel. Well, well Belichick does the same thing to a degree as well, right? When he's countering it defensively. So that's just Genius, which is a word that is often misappropriated and overused, spot on with Belichick, but also with Mahomes. We talk about 
we talk about game-changing moments and he i'm sure by his own admission would would appreciate he was being stifled and it wasn't a vintage performance and a, a top tier performance from him but that third and nine scramble which was what 20 yard scramble or just shy of that which set up the the hardman touchdown that's just textbook Mahomes just changing a game the whole trajectory yeah. of the game with that play so uh, the question is how will the Raiders uh, stack up because in the secondary they've got Trayvon Mullen who is uh, really really starting to become one of the best corners in, in the game but they're without Damon Arnett uh, who is the rookie that first round that, that's gone straight in so already you're fearing that that balance is just not going to be anywhere anywhere near the same but can the Raiders exploit this Chiefs run deep more uh, because we know it can, they can be run on. And Josh Jacobs, although he hasn't been at the stand as he was last season, that's presumably an area that Gruden's going to really, really key in on. Get the ground game going and do something else that Belichick did brilliantly and McDaniels did brilliantly, which was dominate possession. Have these 13, yeah. 14 uh, play drives, eat up seven, eight minutes from the clock. That's the other way you beat Mahomes is don't let him anywhere near the field. Yeah, well, and that's just it. Yeah, Jacobs is, is first of all, back to your point about Belichick quickly, he's the greatest coach in the history of team sport. That's what I honestly believe, and, uh, and, and at least in, in North American sport, for longevity and what he's done. So I don't, I don't worry about the Patriots being two and two if, uh, if Cam Newton is coming back and, right. and is healthy. I'm convinced this is a playoff team, and I know it feels great for Buffalo Bills fans. It really does for them to be four and oh, and, uh, for Josh Allen. You and I were talking on air week one, um, about Josh Allen and, and whether that, that step would be a forward one this year. And I think for all intents, his accuracy, uh, he's, he's shaken some things off. Sure, he's got more weapons with, with Stefan Diggs, but that's going to be a fantastic race in the AFC. I can't wait for the Bills and Patriots, uh, still to pay, play twice. And I hope both teams are fully healthy the rest of the year. To your point on Jacobs in coming into this matchup this weekend, He's almost been a throwback where, uh, and, and I'm only throwing back maybe to, to say Ricky Williams with, mm-hmm. you know, Dave Wanstead's Miami teams where if you're winning, you want to get that guy the football 25, 30 times. I mean, right. I, I, you know, I don't know who's second in carries right now after four weeks, but Josh Jacobs has 83 carries and a lot of the carries not in the last two weeks. They've been losing in those football games. And generally speaking, you're losing fantasy people, fantasy football players will know this. You want the quarterbacks who are behind in games often more than the ones winning. And right now, Derek Carr has sort of had to, you know, throw the Raiders back into games against New England, against Buffalo uh, last weekend. And you're seeing a little less of Josh Jacobs. But look at the wins. They go to, they go to Charlotte and beat the Panthers. He carries the ball 25 times, catches four passes. New Orleans, they win that game in Vegas. Uh, he on the Monday night, he catches 27. He catches three passes and runs the ball 27 times. Mm-hmm. 30 touches for a running back. Uh, Nat, like Todd Gurley wasn't getting that. Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, really isn't getting that right now. Um, that's a very, very unusual thing. And you're right. It's a little more, little more old school Gruden smash mouth football. And he's finally got a running back. Um, you know, and he didn't the first couple of years in, in with the Raiders, really. He's finally got a running back. I think he can, Joe, though Jacobs was there, his utilization has certainly changed to where as good as Derek Carr can be. And I know you and I are both big Derek Carr fans, even still, there's a lot of football left. And I think there's a lot of winning for that quarterback left in his career. Um, the offense seems to be running on whether Josh Jacobs can can handle the load or not. And so far he can. Let's talk car, because as you say, you and I are uh, amongst uh, the car apologists out there. Uh, but yet again, <laughs> he's under pressure and we know stats can be misleading so much of the time. But looking at his numbers, eight touchdowns, no picks. He's averaging almost 300 a game, about two, 275. 
He hasn't had rugs for the last couple of weeks as well. The burner, that, the rookie burner they've got, who should be back for this game, incidentally. Henry Ruggs III. Uh, when we talk car, we always have to preface it by saying, Gruden's not convinced. And, and it is one of those baffling things, particularly, and he explained it brilliantly, the type of team that Gruden offensively is trying to build. To me, Carr is, when I look at the quarterbacks out there right now and, and better the devil you know and all of that, he's a pretty good fit for what he's trying to build. I, I would say he protects the ball well. Yes, he's under pressure. He struggles a lot of the time. Join the club, join the, join the queue, right? He is capable. He's got an arm. He's capable of a clutch play. And I don't know whether he's ever going to convince Gruden that he is the guy. I guess a game like this is going to, would go some way to, uh, to doing that. They're double digit favorites, Greg, the Chiefs. Yeah. This one, is that? And, and the Vegas line, incidentally, the over under opened at 59. Which has gone down, gone down a little bit. So everyone's expecting a lot of points on the board. I think that might be underestimating the Raiders just a little bit here. I think it is to some extent. Yeah, that that intrigues me. You, you think divisional game? I know it's on the road at Arrowhead with with only you know some fans allowed in the stadium. But so we're wiping away that home crowd advantage. Uh, you know, in in, in a right. lot of contexts in the NFL, we sure are doing that in the Premier League. Like fans make a difference in terms of how referees call games. Fans make a difference in terms of how momentum can be gained. I know we can overrate momentum, and and sometimes it's not there when the commentators say it is. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, I, I look at Derek Carr. And uh, I, I hope John Gruden has seen enough, I, at least to carry this forward for the next couple of years. I think there are teams that would swap out their guy for Derek Carr. If they really wanted to make a run at things, I think the Minnesota Vikings would take Derek Carr right now. I think uh, even the Philadelphia Eagles, maybe just mm-hmm. for the year, would swap uh, an inconsistent and, and maybe more injury-prone Carson Wentz out for a Derek Carr right now. So Denver would take Derek Carr in a heartbeat. Lots of teams would. And I, yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of, as you note, you know, the devil, you know, is, is better. We shouldn't even call, we shouldn't even think that John Gruden should think that. Cause I look at other quarterbacks that sort of stayed the course with their franchise, despite a lot of noise. And, and I'd even put Eli Manning in there, though he mm-hmm. won two Super Bowls as just, just keeping the job sometimes keeping that seat warm. Tony Romo did that in Dallas. Jake Cutler did that in Chicago. I think Carr's a level above all three of them at his very best. None of those three guys, none of those three guys were close to winning an NFL MVP. And Carr mm-hmm. was back in 2016 mm-hmm. when the Raiders are 12 and three before he gets hurt in week six, in week 17, 16 going to 17, I should say. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it torpedoed the Raiders playoff chances. It hurt the team going into the next year. This is a really good quarterback. I don't know if he's a top 10 quarterback, but if he's not, he's knocking right on the outside of being a top 10 quarterback in this league. Yeah, and, he, and as we say, he doesn't need to be if it, the way the Raiders are building this this offense. So Waller's balling again as well with Ruggs back. I think they're going to keep it closer than than a two-touchdown game, and, and, and some of the lines I've seen suggest uh, the Chiefs win this, Greg, but mm-hmm. not as clear-cut as, 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 uh, as some people are suggesting. Your pick? Yeah, Kansas City for me in the game, but I, I do think the Raiders are that sort of, when I look at even at the AFC, I was thinking about this and talking about this with a couple other big, uh, you know, NFL um, observers, and I think the Raiders are that sort of, especially with that seventh playoff spot now, that extra wild card spot, 
I do think uh, they'd be a surprising team because I think the Broncos and Chargers are really in transition. If the Raiders take care of business in the division and they can win a couple more games outside, I thought winning against Carolina was massive. I know the, I know the expectations are down for the Panthers, but still an NFC team. It's still on the road. Um, New Orleans probably in a normal year. We'd wipe that as a loss. Though it was their home opener, big, big deal in Vegas. And look at the next three quarterbacks. Derek Carr goes up against Mahomes, Tom Brady in a Sunday night game uh, after they get a bye week. So that's the weekend before uh, the end of the month. And then they go to Cleveland to play Baker Mayfield and the Browns. And Baker's playing the best NFL football of his career mm-hmm. so far in three years. So those are tough tasks for the Raiders. They win two of, two of those three games somehow, some way. Chiefs, Buccaneers, Browns. They're four and three, and their schedule yeah. gets a lot softer with the Broncos and the Chargers and the Falcons. The Jets are on there. The Dolphins are on there. There's a lot of wins coming up for the Raiders if they can get a couple in the next few weeks. It's a great point as well. And you think about what's happening with Tennessee, and we'll talk about them in a bit. And inevitably, that's going to affect, in the short term anyway, that their season. The East, as we know, the Patriots more competitive, but quite conceivably could be a, a kind of nine and seven level if we're thinking wild card here. And uh, and, uh, you know, the um, North is, uh, well, at Baltimore aside, I guess Cleveland are in the mix because of the way they're balling at the moment, but they are amongst the most erratic and least dependable franchises in the history of sports, let alone let alone this season. So I don't think you can count on them. So, yeah, I think it is, it is a very real possibility they, they could be looking at wildcard. I like, I like that theory, Greg Brady. I like it. Let's move on to the NFC, Greg, and the unbeaten Seahawks heading to Minnesota, who are one and three. Having won that must-win game against Houston, of course, which, okay, their season starts now, right? Cousins is balling and Dalvin Cook is, is running that offense quite literally. But at 1-3, and three, they're almost in that place again, right? Because they're hosting Seattle. If they lose, they drop to 1-4. and four. Things look very, very messy. If they win, and I know it's a big if, they've got Atlanta at home next week. So they could conceivably be going into the bye week in week seven at 500 and right back in the playoff race. Yeah, Minnesota is a fascinating, uh, you know, thing to consider. And, and I, you know, I know you and I have kicked this around so often, the longest suffering NFL fans or who has the toughest time going through a, a 12 month period. It's hard to feel a ton of empathy for the Vikings because at least they've gotten, unlike, say, the Bills or the Lions or the Browns, they've gotten close and they've had their opportunities. They've had their share of all pro players on defense and offense. But I will tell you, I have a very good friend who's a massive lifelong Vikings fan. Uh, he's in agony right now. He wants Trevor Lawrence, uh, uh, Nat. I don't, I, can you, and, and he almost, again, not to wish pain and suffering, especially in 2020 on anybody physically, but if Kirk Cousins were to get a little bit of a hamstring tweak, he wouldn't be that terribly upset because he knows Cousins is not the guy that's going to take the Vikings really anywhere. Uh, in terms of an NFC title or an NFC title game appearance even, let alone win the Super Bowl. But he also knows Cousins is too good, as he showed last week in Houston, to end up taking the Vikings to 3-13, and 4-12. and 12. So it feels like Minnesota's in that sort of fleshy middle ground, Nat, of, of having some really good players. And we talked about, you know, wasting some players in their prime. You know, look no further than, you know, Dalvin Cook or, uh, or you know, Ad- Adam Thielen's been there forever and has had some – you know, hits and misses, uh, Anthony Harris on the defensive side. There's a lot of players that would love to win in a Vikings uniform. And I know they just won a playoff game last year. Here we are talking about the Texans, who were a playoff game winner, and the Vikings a playoff game winner. And it just feels not real. It feels very, very dysfunctional. And I'll add this. 
Cousins in that extension, um, he signs a two-year, $66 million extension in, in the middle of March. Why? What was the requirement to get him locked in? What is, like, the, the idea of, oh, he'll be lame duck quarterback. So what? Let this thing play out. And if he elevates his game at age 32 going on 33, which would be rare, then you've got a then you've got a call to make. But they they extend the marriage to Cousins basically through the 2022 season when Kirk Cousins will be 35 potentially coming back for 2023, and it doesn't let them build for the future. Like we we're seeing quarterbacks. Look at the controversy about uh, the Packers drafting a quarterback behind Aaron Rodgers. Look at the controversy that ends up transpiring when. Uh, you know, the good quarterbacks and Jimmy Garoppolo is pushing Tom Brady, maybe potentially for starts, at least the narrative goes. So they, they can't keep him. They got to move him somewhere else. Minnesota didn't have to do what they did here. And I know so many of their supporters are just looking at this team that saying, here come the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to end up being, you know, one and four at the end of things. And, and there's nowhere to go. We're just in that middle ground of not getting better through the draft. Not getting, not climbing up the NFC uh, power rankings because we just don't have the quarterback or the team right now. You know, I'm not going to say who who this was about, obviously for obvious reasons. But there was a great line about a very famous TV presenter over here, kind of daytime presenter. I'm going to leave it there, saying. <laughs> He's just intelligent enough to know he's not intelligent enough. <laughs> Every time I look at Cousins, yeah. that's what I think of. He is just, and you, you made the point, I think he's he's just good enough to get that contract, to keep the starting gig, to make you keep the team in contention ultimately, but not good enough to, to which is fascinating when we talk about Carr and we talk about that collection of second tier quarterbacks and, and the enduring question of what do you need at quarterback to make you a Super Bowl contender, right? And, and, I understand and I feel the the concerns and the pain of Vikings fans because Cousins, they are in this treading water situation where you just know that despite a really strong historically defense, although the secondary this year, young secondary that it is, mm-hmm. could well get really carved up by, by Russell Wilson and co. Uh, at the weekend. Traditionally a strong D, uh, as you pointed out, some key offensive weapons around that are going to make you a, a playoff contender, but you're never going to get to the promised land because of because of Kirk Cousins, and yet, what's the alternative? Well, next year, maybe maybe your friends bang on the money if he, if they fall to 1-15. Don't win any more games, Minnesota, and Trevor Lawrence is yours. How they tackle Seattle is probably not dissimilar to what we said with, with the Raiders and uh, the Chiefs and tackling mm-hmm. them in the same way Belichick and, and the Patriots did against the Chiefs as well as controlling the clock because this is an all-new Seattle offense, and, and we talked about it plenty of times on this pod. The focus much more on the past, the same thing, particularly with that secondary. Keep Dalvin Cook grinding away. Keep the Vikings offense on the field. Keep Russell Wilson away, uh, and then you know you've got a realistic shot. One of the stats, Greg, that is driving me mad that is getting thrown around everywhere, <laughs> which is. Well, this Seahawks team, you can pass on them because they're ranked 32nd in the NFL right now in passing yards, which is just completely overlooking the fact that so many of those yards have been garbage time or at least game-chasing time yards stacked up by all the teams, uh, with ex- actually even including Miami, that have yeah. had to chase chase the Seahawks who have cantered into a blazed into a lead. So this idea, I think, the Seahawks secondary is poor is is a bit overstated. Well, yeah, th- think about the leads, especially going into the fourth quarter that they've had. I'll lay a couple of them out for you. They're up 28-12 against Atlanta. Atlanta mm-hmm. gets 13 points, goes up and down the field a few different times. 
in that season opener um, that uh, that Seahawks win at Atlanta. Then there's New England, Seattle. They're up 28-17 going into the third quarter. What does Cam Newton do? Go up and down the field a couple of times, get their 13 points and a lot more yards. And to some extent, it happened. I mean, I think we'd look and say the Dallas game was very, very touch and go. Obviously, that game's right there for Dak Prescott on the last play or two. Uh, and, and I still, I, I know there were people killing Dak for throwing the interception in the end zone in week three. The only thing I can think of in reason is that he thought there was no time left on the clock. You still have to know what he th- has to throw. He thinks if I step out of bounds right now, uh, I, you know, I'm getting crucified. I, I'm a, I'm a go getter. I've got to try and win that game. But to your point again, Nat, about the secondary. Yeah. There's Miami again and they're down 17 nine in that game halfway through the third quarter. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, a couple late touchdowns for the Dolphins. So, Look, I, I think Seattle, and, and, and we've gotten this standard because of Belichick and Brady in New England, that it's almost like everything gets compared to it. And it should be because of how legendary that partnership was. But do we have a really underrated, almost decade-long run going right now with a quarterback-coach combination in Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll that is that to me is practically, practically unmatched over yeah. the span of the last 10, 12 years? And there is no sign, like... You don't think of Russell Wilson, really, as a guy that's been in the league almost a decade. You don't think of Russell Wilson as maybe, just maybe, you're, you've seen his best football. I, I know it's been dropped on a couple um, U.S. shows that he's never won the MVP award, so that limits him somehow being an, an all-time great. And I couldn't more adamantly disagree. And, and obviously, this is the year at age 31, going to be 32 before the playoffs even start, that the MVP just feels like it's carved out with his name on it. And that's even with a healthy Patrick Mahomes. I don't know a third player, Nat, that you could think of that could be in a conversation for MVP. I think we think it's going to be one or the other, Russell well, Rogers, Wilson or Patrick Mahomes. Rogers, I guess, is the only is, is, is yeah. the third choice in there. Yeah, but but I hear you, and I agree wholeheartedly with the nonsense that he's he's never won an MVP, that he can't be seen as, as a great. And it's a great point you make, the shadow of, of Belichick and Brady, uh, that they be the large one, yeah, yeah, really, really good point on the the matchup here. David Cook for Minnesota to have any kind of chance, of course, realistically, has to have a big game, and he's been leading from the front. But this is a good run, the for for Seattle, right? Three point four yards a carry there, limiting opponents to seventy five yards. I think that thereabouts the the uh, the total yardage. So this is a defense that is hard to run on as well. One other line on this. From you, Justin Jefferson, rookie wide receiver, he seems to be stepping up. One of those receivers, Greg, that we hear it's a tough old position to play in your rookie season and it's hard to acclimatize. And he seems to be one of a number that is just taking like a duck to water in the NFL. Yeah, getting going. I mean, we, we did the draft show in April um, right. and uh, and talked about CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy. And Justin Jefferson felt like he was behind those guys on every single draft board. And, and though there was a bit of a run on receivers, is my recollection, in the last half of that first round. A few of those guys went then. A few of those guys went at the start of the second round of, of that sort of cluster of wide receivers. But he's finding something here, uh, no doubt, with, with Kirk Cousins. And I, I would say, and again, I'm not disparaging – who Cousins is. I think we know who he is, and, and he'll get you some wins and some yardage once in a while, and, and you won't get blown out too terribly often. But, yeah, the last couple of weeks, uh, just big game capacity. How do you have 175 yards in that game against the Titans and your team does not end up pulling it out? And there was a lot of sort of quote-unquote you know, late 
late fourth quarter garbage time accumulation of those stats, but that game obviously was still up for grabs uh, between Minnesota and Tennessee. That's that's one they really needed because it looked like their season was about to go right off the cliff after a terrible loss against uh, the Colts in week two, and uh, and they needed that Tennessee win. I think Minnesota did because, as you know, you're going to Seattle. Uh, you've got a bit of a break, maybe, maybe, with Matt Ryan coming in and, and the Falcons, who've been still putting up a lot of points most weekends, so that should be a shootout. But then you got to go to Green Bay and play the Packers again, who put 43 points on you in the opening weekend. Uh, so, yeah, Minnesota just looks like that sort of also-ran scenario, but Justin Jefferson early days uh, looks real and, and maybe – maybe uh, ends up having the best season that any receiver chosen in the 2020 draft will have. Let's move on to Colts-Browns. It's in Cleveland, both teams three and one. Does Baker Mayfield look real to you then? Because you said earlier on that's the, the pretty much the best you've seen him play. And it was a huge, huge statement win. And not just for, for him, but for, for Beckham, who needed that, yeah. needed that kind of game. The offensive line is amongst the best in football. So they proved that, well, we can run on anyone with this offensive line. Take Nick Chubb out after six carries, and it doesn't matter. We'll still pick up 300 yards on the ground. So he's getting a little lot of help from his friends. A good ground game, a great line, brilliant receivers around him. But do you think Mayfield's turned the corner now? Well, it, I, I think they had so much dysfunction in the organization uh, right out of the gate with him getting drafted, right out of the gate with, uh, you know, a lot of indecision on coaching. And look at the one and done nature. I, I almost think we were seven, eight weeks in last year when we were talking, you know, amazingly, given the, that the Browns tried to you know make it seem like they put out a really extensive head coaching search that Freddie Kitchens was going to be a one and done head coach, which seemed unthinkable given how quickly Cleveland has moved off of head coaches, not chosen a direction, not chosen a philosophy. And there are tons of people that I hear from who are Browns fans here in Canada who are saying, why didn't we hire Kevin, Kevin Stefanski last year? Look at all the lost ground and progress in 2019. He didn't go to any other organization. This was the guy to, you know, to zero in on and, and, you know, have a good interview with, um, at least a couple different times. So yeah, some of that seems gone. They look like they have their coach, ergo, they look like they have their quarterback now. And it didn't start very well, right? Six points in week one against Baltimore. And we're like, same old Baker, making mistakes, trying to do too much, uh, thinking he's playing against college players. And uh, that that win in that shootout win against Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and Joe Burrow's been so fun, so fun to watch every week. But that was a great game, uh, the Battle of Ohio, in that uh, in that night game on a Thursday night. And we thought it'd be really sloppy with teams having short rest, no preseason. All of a sudden, you got three days and and you got a, a week two. But that was that was one of my favorite games of the year was the late night Browns Bengals game. So look, he's settled. I I think last week was as much about. Dallas just coming out and laying a defensive egg as it was about Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, looking like the second coming of John Elway. He didn't have to do a ton to save the game at any given time, only completed 19 passes, didn't even throw for 200 yards, but it's more game management at this point, Nat. Not putting your punter in a bad situation, not throwing a pick at the wrong time, not taking sacks at the wrong time. He only took the two, and uh, we know he was up near the league leaders in uh, in amount of time sacked uh, last year, he went from 25 in his rookie year to 40 last year. 
uh, in the same amount of games, basically. So uh, he's got that Amore under control, just sacked six times in four games so far. So it's starting to look real. You referenced the NFC, uh, NFC North a lot earlier, and I think most people thought if there's any division, any division in the league that could procure three teams into the new playoff format, maybe it'd be that division. And those teams right now are combined nine and two to start the season. So we talked about how much fun the NFC North uh, intra-division games would be, and uh, that's gonna that's certainly going to be that way. And there might be a four-and-one Browns team after this week. There might be, but that the defense they're going up against altogether different to the Dallas defense of last week, Indianapolis. I was going to say quietly going about the business. I think they always do the Colts. I think they are perennially a team that is under the radar, that isn't fashionable, that doesn't get a huge amount of people talking about them. And I think they look to be serious contenders defensively, uh, ranking first in both yards per play and expected points allowed, the PFF uh, stat there, uh, this season, which tells you a hell of a lot about how capable and organized they are defensively and offensively. They are, again, taking care of business. Where are you on Rivers? Is mm. year on year, because I know his fallibility, I know his propensity to do something wildly erratic and cost his team the game, but he is undoubtedly one of the great quarterbacks of his generation, has a huge amount of experience that if they get into the reckoning, into the playoffs, to me, it's an absolute upgrade to, to, to have to have Rivers there. And, and Jacoby Brissett played well for a lot of last season, and I get that. And he's a very capable backup to come in. But I think Rivers makes them legit. I really do. I'm buying into this Indianapolis Colts team completely, Greg. I think they're doing it more on defense. And if the defense can hold up, then they leave Phillip Rivers in a position where uh, he doesn't have to be the hero in that. And I think there have been you know a couple wins that isolate that, how they just, just, you know, shoved Kirk Cousins into the closet, limited the Vikings to 11 points when they got their first win of the year. They obviously pummeled the New York Jets. That's everybody is pummeling the New York Jets. And <laughs> we has do it, been, bud. We do it. Yeah, for three and a half seasons now. That's been the trend. Um, and the win against Chicago uh, with that quarterback switch to Nick Foles, a lot of people high on what Foles could do. And, um, you know, he had, to, he had to throw a lot of footballs in that game, 42 attempts, 26 completions, but it really didn't amount to that much. You get 26 completions and you average less than nine yards of completion. That means the defense is letting you have, you know, letting you have some wiggle room, but they, they also know that you're forcing them into situations where you need a lot of yards on certain plays. I'm, I'm, I've been skeptical on what Rivers has been the last few years, uh, can be going forward. And if it was my team, I, I wouldn't have seen it as a real forward progress move. I didn't think there was a lot left in the tank. And I think, let's face it, if you and I, uh, if you and I saw Philip Rivers announce at the end of the year, well, the Chargers don't want me anywhere, but I had a great run. I'm hanging it up. There have been a number of guys, not even because of injury, that have, that have, might, we might say, had a little bit left in the tank but said, enough's enough. I've had a good run. I didn't win a Super Bowl. I didn't even play in a Super Bowl. And I think we agree that Rivers might be one of the better quarterbacks ever not to play in the Super Bowl. There's always that argument about Dan Marino being the best to never win it, but at least he got there. Rivers might be one of the best to never get there. And I don't know that he's any closer with Indianapolis, but he's managing uh, an offense that has a great running game, quite obviously, and a great defense to put them in good position. So he wouldn't necessarily be my quarterback if I wanted to get to the Super Bowl. But I can't say I'm not impressed so far. I still think there's going to be that bad pick at a bad time, and that potential is there. But Rivers is playing smart football right now, and as a veteran, he should. Yeah, I, I, some great points you make there. And, and I guess that that was my point. If you look at 
kind of latter year or Broncos era Peyton. That's sort of the parallel for me, right? Particularly right at mm-hmm. the end of his career. Like he like, clearly Rivers is not uh, anywhere near the top 10 in terms of ability and ability to change a game. But with that balance, as you say, it's a great offensive line. The run game sound, despite Marlon Mack going out, which is uh, seems to be a running theme at the moment in the NFL right now, just the interchangeability of running backs more than ever. It doesn't. It, it seems to be emphasized there. Excellent defense, as you say. And, and look, apart from the, the Jags game where he threw two, he's thrown one pick in three games. You know, yeah. he's not going to change the world. But I will always go, and we've we've chatted about this a lot of times in the past, Greg, when you're looking at that, certainly early round playoff game, always take the wily old vet over the young, with the exception of, of a Mahomes level player, over the young raw player. If you're putting, for me, if you're putting Rivers against Baker Mayfield in the playoffs, I would take Rivers every time. I'd take him every w- time. Would you take him against a Josh Allen though? Would you, would you, our Bills Colts playoff game on a neutral field, that's tricky, and I think I'd rather go with the youngster in that case. It's a great question because of the way that Allen is playing, which week after week is, I think, confounding expectation. And, and you know, who is the critics saying, well, it's going to be a couple of weeks, and then he'll revert to type, or he's still got that rule. And he probably does to a degree. But the, the, the leap that he has taken just in terms of stability, I think, more than anything else, he's still got that dynamic game-changing component. He's, he's clearly demonstrably improved as a thrower because of digs uh, and, and I guess more acclimatization and just more confidence and, and reps, but he just feels balanced and composed. And I just feel wildly or as, as wildly erratic. So may Alice a harder call, Alice a harder call, but against a, a Mayfield, definitely, you know, I, I, I would take rivers every time. I would take rivers every time. Uh, we uh, got to pick this one. Did we pick the last game? I don't think we did. Seattle might, we better pick that quickly. So I'm picking Seattle on the road for the win. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm nodding. I, I don't, until the Seahawks <laughs> lose, I'm not sure they're going to lose. We're not talking about them as a 16 and O team yet. I, I look at their schedule playing at the Rams would be tricky. Um, playing at Buffalo, uh, might be tricky. We saw the Bills and what they did uh, to the Rams. That Again, that's another one of my favorite games of the year so far was uh, Jared Goff bringing the Rams all the way back, uh, but uh, Josh Allen making a couple third and long throws certainly helped to get a pass interference penalty. I'm sure you hotly debated whether that call was uh, was a legitimate call. I thought it was in Bills-Rams, but uh, yeah, I, th- there's losses coming for Seattle, but what I think they've done that is I think they've pushed themselves out as the front runner to uh, to have home advantage through the playoffs. As much as Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are there, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are there, to me this is right now it just feels like Seattle's conference to lose. Okay, Colts-Browns harder to pick. I am torn, but I'm going to lean uh, towards the Browns. No, I'm going Colts on the road. Colts with a road win. Uh, I'm going to stick to my guns. Stick to watch Rivers throw three picks in an abysmal, <laughs> an abysmal performance. I'm going Indy for the win. What about you? I like Cleveland, uh, but but not by much. This looks like a, a great game of shootout. And you're right; it's very much. Uh, we got about a what a decade and a half age difference between the quarterbacks, and I like mm. matchups like that because uh, you, you see those contrasting styles and perspectives. Mm, big time. Okay, rapid fire for the rest of them, Greg, because uh, we've got to get out of dodge. Starting with. Jags at Texans. So is this going to be a, a new coach bounce for Romeo Crennel? Their 16 sacks they've allowed is uh, ranks from 32nd in the NFL. Now, that is a stat you've got to pay close attention to. But this Jags defense isn't great. And I, mm-hmm. I, think, I think there will be a, in a freshness about the organization. I don't think many players, again, from what we can gather and what those close to the team are, are reporting, there aren't going to be too many tears shed for, for, for Bill O'Brien. 
so I think Crinnell can get him together and, and keep him organized. And I don't think this Jags team is going to pose enough of a threat uh, uh, defensively to cause him too many problems. So I am going Deshaun for his first win of the season. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, I, I think, you know, they, they hung in there uh, enough against the Minnesota Vikings. Right. Uh, and uh, as we were saying at the beginning, that's going to be really, really intriguing. There might be Jags fans as well. We talk about teams wanting Trevor Lawrence. Jacksonville seems ideally suited uh, to be able to draft uh, Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. Uh, you know, and, and Gardner Minshew can still hang around. He can still, you know, keep the keep the mullet going, keep the facial hair going. But maybe he's Trevor Lawrence's backup a year from now. What about that? I like that idea, uh, particularly if he is allowed to ride a Harley up and down the sidelines uh, with a bandana as well as the clipboard or the iPad or the service or whatever, <laughs> whatever the, the right brand is. Bengals Ravens, obviously, well, I say obviously, uh, maybe you've got a case for, for Joe Burrow because I know you're, you're a fan, but they're double digit favorites. Uh, again, the Ravens, they were last week as well, of course, and they, they pushed that uh, up against a porous a porous Bengals line. The Ravens D is going to lick its chops at this one. I think it's going to get, this is going to be one of those games in his rookie season that we will look back and, you know, behind the sofa, not really wanting to watch it for Joe Burrow. He's going to get hit, I think, a fair bit here. And I think the Ravens will uh, tear it up offensively. I think they actually cover this one easily. Yeah, he, has, he hasn't been pushed around too much, but yet 15 sacks already in four games. And that's pretty standard rookie behavior. Like I said, Baker Mayfield in his sophomore year had 40, and Burrow's well on the way there. They won't be giving him much protection. Um, so I like the Ravens and, and probably even to cover that double-digit spread. Looks yeah. like a blowout to me. Yeah, agreed. Panthers of Falcons next. Are Carolina, Greg, that team this year that no one saw coming as a playoff team uh, that, that makes the postseason? You know, you'd think so because there's teams that might have had more expectations that are out to such bad starts. The NFC East doesn't look like it could produce a wild card. The NFC North looks like uh, very strange because the Lions and Vikings are falling out of, out of you know, math is working against them. Uh, they're both one and three. But I don't know about the Bears. I, I'd love to see the Bears. I think the NFL is always better when the Bears are a competitive team. But I'm not sure they're, you know, real at three and one any more than Carolina is at two and two. I think Atlanta gets this win. The team, I think, I think the two teams we think are going to pick up the pace somewhat are Dallas. I think they are. I don't think they're going to be a six and 10, seven and nine team. They're better than that. Uh, and I think New Orleans sitting there with two losses, in, and and those are mostly scheduling losses to me uh, mm. in the NFC South. So I don't see the Panthers as a playoff team, and I think Atlanta gets them this weekend. I'm worried about Atlanta in this game because their secondary is, is banged up even more, right? And I, the Panthers have got that bend, not break D, right? They they allow quarterbacks to get short gains, dink and dunk it around, but they're very good against the big play, and I think that is – the way that Atlanta win this. So I, I think it's going to be tight. I'm picking Carolina for, for the win here. And I've, and I've been team Ryan and I've been waiting for Atlanta to turn the corner. I think, I, I just think they jumped the shark this year. I think that it's going to, it's going to go horribly wrong. And I think Dan Quinn's time is now, uh, or is done rather, uh, cards, jets. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of coaches, his time is done. Uh, I wonder who is going to go next actually, because Adam Gase is, uh, the bookies fave to be yanked next. And if, uh, this can be a bounce back game for Kyler, cause it was disappointing, disappointing for him and for the cards last week. I think the manner in which they, uh, they lost, but this is the perfect recipe for, uh, getting back on, uh, into the saddle. Uh, did you see LeBron, incidentally, on the Jets bigging up Sam Donald's run? Did you, did yes, yeah. yes. I, you <laughs> know, he's got, when you're up in the in the NBA Finals and about to win another title with a third team, you got time to uh, <laughs> to, to give big ups to uh, you. I, I think he, he that's thinks why about I love that. it. 
as a well, USC I guy. I, you know, LeBron got uh, to LA yeah. a little late to see Sam Darnold in person. But yeah, this uh, I, I can't see. I can't see the Jets being uh, this terrible all season long. I really can't. I thought a lot of their moves in free agency would get them to a a five or six win season. So this would drop them to zero and five. But yeah, the circumstances are there. I know the Cardinals haven't been haven't been that safe with the ball. Uh, they put the ball on the ground a lot, and Kyler Murray could do more to limit the interceptions. But Arizona shouldn't lose this game. No, we'll find out a lot about Arizona if they do. It might be a trap game because you know I can't imagine anybody picking the Jets. And I'm definitely not going to, but, you know, it could be one of those games again that we look back and think, oh boy. And uh, the Jets try and get something going, but I doubt it very much. Uh, Eagles Steelers next. I'm not buying this Eagles team at all. The 49ers win, I think, was two reasons, all both fairly obvious. The most, they're the most banged up team in history, San Francisco, apparently. And Nick Mullins, you know, fell off a cliff. Extra prep for the Steelers as well, of course, extra rest. Uh, Pittsburgh all the way here. I'm worried Pittsburgh. I'm going to take the upset. I think Pittsburgh might be a little rusty in this particular game. Wow. I think Doug Peterson has to come around with a game plan. They sure have to keep the run game in order and and stuff James Conner more often than not, who's having, you know, off to a good season again, like when he filled in for Le'Veon Bell two years ago. But, I, I you know, I'm a, I'm still a big believer in Carson Wentz. I can't figure out some of what is is his issue and some of, uh, of, of what is uh, the infrastructure around him and the ability to protect him, but I like Philadelphia in this particular quarterback matchup. I think uh, I think their offensive line needs to give Carson Wentz a little bit more, a little oomph against the Steelers and their pass rush. Give me Philadelphia. I love a good battle of Pennsylvania. So I, this is one of the games I can't wait to watch on Sunday. But give me Philly in the upset. Big call, Greg Brady. Big call. Bills, Tennessee. We don't even know if the Tennessee game is going to happen yet, right? Because uh, this game is going to happen because of the situation with Tennessee. If it does, it has to be Buffalo all the way. I, I would have probably picked them anyway. But given the couple of weeks Tennessee have had and lack of access to the facility and everything yeah. else, no way they can win this, is there? Yeah, no, I don't. And and as we're as we're you know putting this out now, I I do I I, I assume the game's going to happen. And we talked about the Patriots game last week. There'd be ample debate to to question whether the Patriots that was way too soon to play. We talked about that with the practicality of COVID and getting a negative test as opposed to get yourself away from everybody else because you could have a positive test the next day. So Tennessee's in a little bit of flux. Um, they don't feel like a team that's going to roll to a great season. I, it, it looked like a little fool's gold to me last year, and there's something about Buffalo. Again, I'm not sure the Bills are going to hold off the Patriots for the division, but this is one they should grab, even though it's on the road. Um, Sean McDermott's got them playing great until we see otherwise. Buffalo's the pick here. Okay, let's route through the final ones. Otherwise, Harry's going to get across with me. Rams, yeah. Washington, uh, the LA, one of the most intriguing teams in the NFL right now. I mean, you look at their performance, well, the performance you mentioned earlier on versus the one against the Giants, and they just look like two completely different teams for, for a lot of the time. It's a great pass, D, as we know, but you can run on them. So Washington, even with Kyle Allen coming in, might well look to, or maybe particularly with Kyle Allen coming in, might well look to try and get some kind of ground game going with Antonio Gibson and, and McKissick. But I, I think LA, a clear, clear and easy winners on the road. But as I say, so enigmatic. If this ends up being a tight game like the Giants game, I probably wouldn't be surprised either. I like the Rams. I like them in a healthy win here. Uh, they've got the four, the next four games, Washington, San Francisco, Chicago, Miami. I think this is a potentially a 7-1 team at the bye week before they host the Seattle Seahawks on November 15th. I, I love oh. what they've got back going. They've got some mojo going again. Okay, Dolphins Niners is simple enough for me. And as, as you say, Greg, we're recording this Thursday, so we don't know yet. But if Jimmy G plays San Francisco, if Jimmy G doesn't play, I like Miami for the upset. 
I like San Fran either way. Uh, I, I think they, uh, you know, that they, they had a ball bounce uh, the wrong way. They could be uh, sitting there as a three and one team right now. Sure. Um, I know they, I know they got to have the Giants and Jets on the schedule. So those are almost asterisk type wins with how bad the New York, New Jersey teams have been. But give me the 49ers here. Speaking of the New York, New Jersey teams, the Giants head to Jerry World to take on the Cowboys. Dallas all the way here. Uh, they're just going to put up enough points. And, and, and I, I just can't, I know this Cowboys defense, as you were referencing earlier, Greg, is, uh, is fallible. Yeah. <laughs> That's not an understatement. So I think the Giants, I think this will be an over. Whatever. If it's at 60, I think they'll take the over here. But I think, I think Dallas get the win. Well, tricky, too, because the Giants have, I think they're the only team in the NFL not to score more than 17 points yet in a game. So if it's the over, uh, this could be, you know, a three-touchdown win for the Cowboys. Uh, They're smarting. They're hurting. They're hearing all the criticism. Mike McCarthy is hearing the criticism because you can't look around. Hey, Jason Garrett, this must be his fault. No, he's gone. So it can't just be all about Jason Garrett anymore, though that was probably the right move. Yeah, Dallas wins this uh, in a laugher. Of course, it's the Jason Garrett Bowl, of course. That'll be oh, man. thought of that. <laughs> the Jason right. Garrett back. Yeah, revenge, the revenge tour. Oh, the Giants are going to win this now you've said that. Uh, Broncos' <laughs> Pats. Belichick says um, that Cam's day by day. He was asymptomatic, Cam, as of Monday. Could be practicing today. We're recording this Thursday afternoon, uh, UK time. Uh, it, look, it, that, again, I think this is relatively straightforward. If Cam starts this game, I think that the Pats are clear favorites. If he doesn't, well, who does? who does... Belichick start does he presumably Stidham right I think he I think he comes with Stidham yeah because I think it's easier to go from the the younger player to the veteran player at that point in time uh you know we we were uh, just um, amazed that Brian Hoyer was signed by the team remember that was months before uh though though there was sort of a a Cam Newton rumor out there that never really got put to bed and eventually uh, you know they signed him for wonderful value um, yeah, I, I think you're better off going with the kid in this game, uh, despite despite the fact he came in under difficult circumstances at Arrowhead the other night. The touchdown pass he threw was was, was a thing. It was great. Yeah. yeah, and Hoya. I mean, the the one reason that he they he was signed, and as he said, we were, I remember we were doing a radio show like, what is going on? The one reason Greg he was signed was because of his familiarity with the McDaniel's offense, his familiarity yeah. with the organization, the seasoned vet. So if you are brought in for a passage of play in a game or a game, you're going to be sensible. You're going to protect the ball. <laughs> what does he do? Not only take the sack to lose the field goal shot, but then on that the drive in the third quarter, eight, eight minute drive inside the 15 sack again, fumbles it. My God, I'm amazed Brian always stood at the, the organization, frankly, after that <laughs> final one, Chargers Saints in New Orleans. Fascinating matchup. This is, I like Breeze and the Saints have been able to do even without Michael Thomas. He's connecting with Emmanuel Sanders. Now that is on, of course, we know the impact of Alvin Kamara. And this Chargers D is still banged up. I mean, it's a talented unit, but it's banged up. I think New Orleans with a win. I do too. Yeah, uh, home advantage. I'd, I'd probably say that even if they were headed out to L.A. It's a long trip, even under these sort of trying travel circumstances. And you make the point about Kamara. Uh, he's doing it. He's doing it as a receiver as much as he is as a – he looks to me more so than Ezekiel Elliott because of usage right now in Dallas. I think this is the best running back you want to throw a football to. I think he's got the absolute best structure to have a huge year in terms of piling up. He's got 30 receptions already uh, in four weeks. So you, you're looking at a running back that's going to flirt with having 80, 90 catches this year. I really do believe that. Okie dokie. We've done it. We are uh, all done and dusted with the week five games. Greg Brady is always a pleasure, man. Always good to catch up with you and get your insight. You've got to 
well, get some highlight reels rolling, get that CV or resume, as you would say, dusted off and uh, get it on down to Texas, man. There is time, Greg. There's time. Can I run the Houston Texans remotely, at least until the 2021 <laughs> draft, well, where we all want to get back together in person? I, I'd consider it if so. Just do what David Moyes is doing at West Ham and just do the team talks uh, via Zoom at halftime. <laughs> you'll be, it's, you'll uh, be fine. Yeah, it's, and I, again, I may say, guys, we don't have to terribly try hard to win here, and then we can peddle that number one overall pick. I like Deshaun <laughs> Watson enough to keep him, I think. Genius. I love it. Uh, Brady, great to catch up with you, man. Look after yourself. See you soon. Thanks, Nat. Lovely stuff from Greg Bailey. He will be back very, very soon. You can count on it, gang. Thanks to all of you who've been getting in touch with us on social media, incidentally. Uh, Marley and Tom running the show there at the NC Show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Lots of chat going on. Lots of extra content that we're putting out as well. Videos from the show, extra videos, all kinds of good stuff. So go and get involved with the conversation there. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us, whichever podcast you're listening to this on. Uh, Spread the word. It is good to have you with us for the ride. Iron Mike on the show Monday to look back at all the key week five stories from Sunday. Looking forward to that. Enjoy the football gang. We'll see you Monday. Sports Social Podcast Network.